Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the modest, martial, and merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am up, Chris. Me too, because it's Sunday morning. It is. This is this is probably not a good habit to get into, recording Sunday mornings. Probably not, but, you know, we'll we'll, we'll figure it out, right? <laughs> yep. We, we, we will be fully awake by the end of this episode. Fully, fully. I have coffee in hand, and I have a Mad Wizard, so I, I can't go wrong, although... Although the other mad wizard has started um, started needling my uh, my apprentice persona on the internet, Casper Fire, that's been a bit of a thing. I have to like yeah. not not use his Twitter handle anymore. Oh, he seemed to, he got a little prickly yesterday. It seems a little bit, a little bit. All right. Well, we're going to talk about um, listener questions today. That's what we have. Listener Q and A. Before we do that, let's do a few announcements. Hey, let's talk about the streets of Avalon. That's going rather well, huh? It really is. You never know what you're going to get when you start a Kickstarter. And I think we at Encoded Designs are pretty happy. Um, by the time this episode drops, there'll be about a week left, I think, in the Kickstarter. Um, so this might be the last time you hear us talk about it while it's still going, mm -hmm. uh, depending on exactly when it ends and when the uh, show drops. So if you get a chance, go check it out. Yeah. We are currently at almost $9,000. We have unlocked seven of our stretch goals, and let me let me just tell you, like, there's a crazy good deal that you can get if you back this Kickstarter for the $10 PDF, because if you get the $10 PDF, you get all the stretch goals, and right now you're getting, as I scroll down, I could probably do it from memory, but I'm not going to, uh, the Avalon Ranger, so a, a new class that is basically for urban adventuring that's a ranger, and the Firearms of Avalon, so a gun supplement for Avalon that'll incorporate guns into the city, and Avalon, by the way, for those who don't know, if you haven't heard it's a giant giant city it's like 50 miles across one way and 30 miles across the other way and it's like the center of the universe for like these people that live there and it's it's a it's this very Fawford and the gray mouse or edgelin nicks if you want the modern version inspired game so uh setting so there you go that's what avalon is there's a neighborhood map that you're getting there's an adventure called iron shoes by avalon creator brett b from gaming mbs there's another class the urban barbarian so that'll be fun. It's going to be pretty dark, actually, because it has to do a lot with um, people who have uncontrollable anger and how they use their vices to sort of dull that, but that's not necessarily good for them. So that'll be a fun fun thing for you folks if you want to play a, a bit of a darker version of D&D. &D. Uh, there are some new spells and magic items, ten of them, in fact. Maybe more, because Brett hinted that he might write more. I'm like, well then, okay. Uh, we also have some character dossiers of the characters from the Wednesday Evening Podcast, All-Stars Podcast. So they'll have sketches and their character sheets and a little bit of uh, information about them. Mm -hmm. And we're almost to the Blacksmith's Folly. We're not very far away from that, actually. We're about, only about 400 bucks away as of this recording, which is another adventure set in Avalon from Brett B. of Gaming and BS the Creator. And then after that, if we can get to it at 10,200, we're going to put out a district map of Avalon, so like an overhead shot of the city, and you can see sort of the districts and the more important locations in the city of Avalon. That's a lot of map. It's a, well, you know, if it's just, you know, a district map, it's not going to be too huge, right? It's just going to be on a page. It's, right. It gives you the idea of it because Avalon, nobody's really actually sure how big Avalon is. Right. I mean, I love the idea of this sort of city where it would take you two days of travel just to leave the city. Probably more, right? Right, like, right. Cause... With, with all the streets and, and all the hazards that are associated with it yeah it, it could take you like a week to just get to the gates if you're in you know in the inner city itself yeah so uh it is you know it's an i love the idea of this and looking forward to doing some development work on some of the stretch goals me too me too i can't wait for sean to be like that that that, that does not work for that class chris you can't do that people people will people will gnash their teeth and rip their hair out mm -hmm. Yeah, that's some good stuff. Yeah, all right. Well, hopefully we get to our the rest of our stretch goals, because we have a couple more after that, too. So, But we're not yep. really, really revealing them just yet. Yep. So what's our next one, Sean? 
Uh, there was a great article, as there usually is, up on D&D Beyond, this one by James Hake, talking about what might be the next uh, products for D&D in 2019. So what he does in this article is looks at the previous year's release schedules. So from the, the launch right straight through 2018, uh, he shows what's been put out and then tries to predict what will be put out in 2019 based on uh, based on that pattern. Uh, a couple points. You should really go read the article. The link is in the show notes. But you should... Uh, well, you should go look, read it, but I wanted to pull out a couple of quotes. Uh, one is that 2018 saw the unprecedented release of four D&D game books, up from three in all of the previous years, except for the launch in 2014. Um, so not not three books in 2018, but four books, published books. And that does not even include the electronic release of The Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron. So if you count that... Because it was a pretty he- that was a pretty hefty release, uh, although it was just electronic. So that's really five books that came out in 2018. It's also not the final version of the Wayfinder's Guide, Deborah. True, true. Uh, so that was pretty neat. And another quote was uh, that we already know one of the products that we'll be releasing in February of 2019. It's Tactical Maps Reincarnated. They are full color poster maps compiled from third and fourth edition products that can support your tactical gameplay. So it's you know it's the gridded battle maps that were printed in various products from third and fourth edition. Even though, obviously the the rules part you know the 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 text of those aren't usable straight in fifth edition. The maps are still fine because there are no rules written on the maps. It's true. So you could take those and just use them in all your games as you wish. Uh, and one thing that he didn't note that I. Uh, learned is there's a monthly stream on the wizards uh twitch stream called spoilers and swag uh nathan stewart who's in charge of D for wizards and kate welsh um go through and they talk about spoilers on upcoming products and the big thing they spoiled i didn't see it but i heard people talking about it was that one of the 2019 releases is going to be a nautical based adventure well then so for those of you who like nautical-based adventures, something's coming out for you. And I also that also brought to mind that they put out a, a Ships and Seas Unearthed Arcana. That's uh, right. We talked about article. it. Article. Right. So that probably ties together with this upcoming release. We should really like pay more attention to the stuff that we talk about sometimes because, yeah, that that's, makes perfect sense. Also, if you think about it, like the sidekicks thing, like that ties really well into being like on a pirate crew. Very, very true. Where do you think they'll set it? Because it'll be in the Forgotten Realms, I'd imagine, right? I refuse to answer on the grounds that I may incriminate myself. Oh, you already know. I don't know for once. (laughs) So that's okay. That's fair. Sorry, Sean. That's okay. (laughs) It's so weird when you like you're getting so much better at this at this uh, this podcasting thing is like I had no idea that you knew, right? Like. (laughs) <laughs> well, like you know, the older you get, the more you forget what you know. So uh, that that's also helpful. So th- this is a very interesting article. Like I love stuff like this because it it ties into the whole like business marketing thing to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's pretty much on on point with what he thinks. Like uh, uh, there's going to be three backbone books. There's going to be an autumn book is probably going to be a campaign sized adventure. The spring book may either be a new player book of player options like Xanathar's Guide or Volo's Guide or Something like that, you know. It could be, you know, another, like, we just have Mordenkind's Tome of Foes. Um, and then a winter book, maybe a companion to the autumn adventure. That's usually kind of the, that's close to the kind of flow of books. It's usually two adventure books and one um, rules book, sort of, right? Yep. Yeah, that's what it's been the last few few years. So we'll see. But it's you know even more interesting in his article. What I found is he talks about a lot of the supplementary products. So he talks about some of the board games like Dungeon Mayhem, the card game, and some of the, what, what the partners are working on, um, like WizKids. So you know if you're into all of that stuff, this is a great article just to recap. You know what's out there in case you miss something. But also to you know, conjecture on what what's coming out going forward. Yeah, I'd have to study, like, really go back and look at their um, their board game lines, because uh, water the Waterdeep Lords of Waterdeep is such a good game. 
And I think it it's really still is. pretty highly rated. I can't think of anything else they've released that I'm like, that game is really good, and it's D&D themed. Oh, uh, the the Baldur's Gate, the Betrayal of Baldur's Gate. Oh, people probably like that a lot. I hate that game. Like, it, it's, a oh. fi- it's a perfectly fine game, like the Betrayal game. The Betrayal like, House on the Hill. Yeah, like, I mean, I know people love that game, and it's a really classic, loved Avalon Hill game. It's, n- it's a game that I do not like at all. I don't like playing it, but I know it's super popular. Mm-hmm. So never mind. You're right. The, that's probably been really well received. So I take it back. <laughs> no, it's 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 out there. It's a D and D themed game that's out there. Well, there's other games out there like um, the um, Rock Paper Wizard. Mm-hmm. But I don't. True. I mean, it's an okay game, but it's not as good as as Lords of Waterdeep. Like, right? I mean, Lords of Waterdeep is if you, even if you're you know into really deep Euro games, this is a great game. Yeah, like, and if you're just into normal board games, this is maybe as as Euro as you want to get, but it's still good. You know. My my family, who are non-gamers, loved Lords of Waterdeep. So. Yeah, there's... Because Rock, Paper, Wizards is a really fun game. I like playing that. I, I wouldn't call it a great game or anything like that, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Conquest of Narath. That's a long yep. time ago, though. That was basically D&D Risk. It's not yep. that good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give some strong opinions here, apparently. Uh, uh, that's okay. There was the... Didn't they have the, the Storm King's Thunderbore game or whatever? Oh, there was the Giants. It yeah. was... Uh, yeah, against the Giants. I never played it. I heard it, it I, wasn't super good. I got it, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Yeah, I heard it wasn't very well received. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's just not... I mean, I, I don't know what that game's all about, so I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah. I thought there was a Drow one, too, wasn't there? Uh, that was Tyrants of the Underdark. Yeah, and that, that one... Right. I don't know what that game was about, but I heard it wasn't super well received either. Like, a lot yeah. of people had problems with it. Yeah, I, I I saw people play it and it seemed fun, uh, but when you're dealing with the board game crowd, um, there is a bias against wizards. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm talking about like the super invested on uh, what's the what's the uh, board game geek? You know, on on that site daily, um, there's there's a bias against them, just because there's a bias against wizards. That's surprising because you know. As far as I know, like even even on that site, like Lords of Waterdeep is still a fairly well rated game, and, and that's why that's why you know that it's a really good game mm-hmm. is because if they're giving it good marks, then it's it's good. Uh, all right, well, I suppose we should move on then. As, as much as I'd love to sit around and talk about board games and D anD D all day, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> another it, topic for another day. Another topic for another day. Um, so Mike Merles had a very interesting tweet thread on art in games mm-hmm. especially rpg art so uh i just wanted to read a couple of these quotes it's not a super long long thing so um art is the entry point into your work in the best case work with an artist as a co-creator talk about emotion impact and reson- the resonance you're aiming for and work as equals draft off of each other's strengths and ideas and i think uh there was a question later about like getting into role-playing game or publishing type stuff mm-hmm. for D&D like this is a really good thing to think about uh I am actually quite a quite a visual person I, I love art I draw a little bit I am not as talented as I could be but I do graphic design and things like that but I'm always thinking about what things look like when I'm writing them and uh we're lucky enough at Encoded Designs to have John and Tim uh John Arcadian has been doing art direction for years and years and years, and he has some graphic design skills, and he's been a web developer, which means he makes really pretty websites. So he has a really good visual sense. And Tim Jones, um, he's a trained graphic designer. Like, that's what he went to school for, and he worked in the industry doing things for, like, clothing companies and whatnot. And he's just brilliant. Like, his mm-hmm. his artistic ability is, is, is top-notch. He's one of the finest artists that I personally know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're lucky that we have those those two that can help us find people or just create things to, to bring the ideas that we come up with to life. Yep. And then we have Matt Morrow who works on um, the Mad Wizards Menagerie. Mm-hmm. We'll give him an we'll give him an art order, and you know, m- moments later, almost we've got a you know a beautiful sketch to work from. Yeah, and Matt's art is just out of this world amazing. Yeah, he's the yeah. other one. Like we um and we have a very like we give Matt ideas and then he turns them into beautiful things and our ideas are not very like we don't we try to make it a very um we give him a lot of room to work right mm-hmm. like that's the idea sure. because yep. enough to know what's going on but not 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 
we're not very controlling about like yeah we want it to be exactly like this right like that is not what we do because we want to we want the back and forth right we want the artist's input because that's the point of having an artist they have skills and they have a vision that we don't yeah it's funny because when i got into the industry i was all usually working on uh, adventure not adventures league but organized play stuff living uh greyhawk living forgotten realms where there is no art so for at least the first six years, everything that I did had practically no art involved. And then the first time I worked on an actual Wizards product, they're like, okay, and we need from you an art order, you know, five art orders based on something, what you've written, you know, your encounters or your scenes or whatever. And I was like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it was, um, oh boy, I can't remember who it was that showed me how to write an art order uh, at Wizards, and it was great. And I'm not a very visual person, so it it took some time. It took some practice to write up a good art order. Art order, but then once I got doing it, I think the first three or four products that I worked on for actual you know hardcover or softcover publication, one of my art orders became the cover. So I thought, well, I must be doing it right if the art that's coming from it is evocative enough to to go on the cover. I know, right? So for like so for the Halls of Undermountain. Or for um, uh, P3, <laughs> Assault on Nightworm Fortress, mm-hmm. you know, my art orders became the cover. So that was that was that was almost as as exciting as doing the writing itself. Um, and there's uh, someone at Wizards who I think does an incredible job in what we're talking about. I believe his name is Richard Witters. I hope I'm dude, pronouncing that correctly. Dude, you wrote the art order for the Halls of Undermountain. For the cover? For the cover, yeah, going down the... Dude, that's uh, awesome. I love that piece. It's such yeah, a good me too. piece. And, for those uh, who can't see but, it, by the way, go go search it. And it's um, it's two adventurers. They're basically belaying down like super spies. One of them is a, one of them is a fighter with a shield and an axe, and he's basically shield-pounding a goblin, which the shield's already got a bunch of arrows in it, down the shaft towards a bunch of other goblins, while uh, the, the, the sorcerer, it looks like, is throwing a fireball down the shaft at the goblins. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty. So, uh, anyway, I, Richard Witters, who works at Wizards as an artist, you know, he's I I believe he's kind of like their concept person. So they'll have an idea, and they'll just say, "We need to see what this looks like." Richard, go go for it. And you would recognize his his work when you saw it, the style of it, because it's so iconic to Fifth Edition now. Um, and so, ho- hopefully, if I get more work at Wizards, I will get to work with Richard. Yeah, I hope so too. Like, I mean, I hope you get to more work at, get more work with wizards, right? You know, that's good. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's 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 about working with the people. You know, it's about sharing ideas and, and cool stuff. So, uh, so a couple other things we actually covered a few things that he talked about, like, um, like letting your artist do their thing. Like that's a thing. Uh, working with them. Another thing is is uh, about interaction, and the reason I talked about that Undermountain pieces because it's got tons of good interaction so he has a, a an example piece um uh the the cover from larry elmore from the the D red box it's the it's the the barbarian swinging the sword at the red dragon mm-hmm. he says cover up the dragon looking only at the warrior and figure out what they're going to be doing like where where's their sword swing gonna gonna land what's their state of mind where's the target of their attack and then picture that and then uncover the dragon and do they match and then do that, do the reverse with the other thing, like cover up the warrior and figure out what the dragon's doing. So, like, if you look at Sean's Undermountain piece, you can see, like, yeah, those goblins, they're going to want to kill the adventurers, and they're trying to, and they're looking pretty freaked out because there's a fireball being thrown at them, and those adventurers are, you know, coming down fast and furious, looking like they're going to murder some goblins. Like, it, it all works, right? Mm-hmm. The, the piece is, is very solid. So that's a thing you should be thinking about, one, when you're looking at art to decide whether it's good or not, and also, mm-hmm. two... Um, and by good, I mean, whether it functions correctly, right? Like whether it makes sense. Um, and two, like when you're commissioning art, those are things that you should be thinking about, especially in a game like D and D, which is essentially in a lot of ways, an action oriented game. Mm -hmm. So having cool action pieces, uh, works. Now you don't always need that. Like the cover of the curse of Strahd is great, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's Strahd sitting on his throne with a glass of, you know, blood or wine. You're not really sure. Uh, but like that, that in and of itself creates like this is kind of like a mysterious situation in game, right? And this is the the focal point of the game is this character. Yep. So uh, you know, 
that's the kind of thing you should be thinking about. Like, what what is your what is the tone? What is the atmosphere? What are you pushing when you um when you with your art? And it, mm-hmm. art is important. Like, it's very important. Piazzo spends tons of money on art. So does Wizards. <laughs> yep. So do a lot of companies that publish RPGs. Y- even us. <laughs> Even us, even as a small publisher, you know, art is important. And you know, as a, even if you're going to put stuff up on the DMs Guild, you're not going to probably be able to to support a lot of art with the budget that you're working with. If you can, great. But if you can't, at least use some of the art that's up there for free, you know, from from the Wizards zip file up there to accent your work. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, art is expensive, and you should pay people what they're worth. Like, that is a thing. Like, I know it's, mm-hmm. I know it's hard, and I know it's, it's tough, and you figure out whatever works for you and the people that you're working with, but don't ever undercut your artists. Just, like, don't ever undercut your writers if you can help it. Yep. Like, um, for instance, like, our Streets of Avalon, uh, around a quarter of our budget is for art. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there you go. That's, that's the best I can say on it. Yep, and the stretch goals are going to make better art. <laughs> some, yeah, some of them are going to make better art. Like there's there's a bunch of, you know, we we set aside money for art pieces in in those stretch goals. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get on to our topic, listener Q and A. So uh, so Sean, you want to lead us into this? Sure. Yeah, we get. I don't know about Chris, but I get about three messages per week, private messages on Twitter, on Facebook, emails, with questions about various topics either freelancing related or just D&D related. And so every once in a while, when these questions reach a critical mass, we like to take the time to just go through the questions because a lot of them are really good and could be full episodes in and of themselves. But if one person has one of these questions, it probably means many people out there have the same question. Yeah, that's yeah, probably right. I completely agree with you. And I don't get that many uh, queries. Well, you probably get them about podcasting and other things. Yeah, that's actually that's actually pretty accurate. I do usually. That, that's that's what I thought. <laughs> so the first question, and the one that I probably get the most, is how do I get into this RPG D and D freelancing business? And the yeah, Chris. No, go ahead. I was going to say the how I like to answer is. The good news is there is has not been a better time to be getting into it, especially as you know someone who is just starting out, because we have things like the DMs Guild, we have the internet, we have the open gaming license, we have many avenues for new people to get their work out there. Now that's not saying that you're going to be able to make a living at it right away. I'm still 20 years later working on being able to make a living out of it. So, you know, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes sweat. It takes many, many failures over the years. Uh, but at least there is an on-ramp and more than one on-ramp for you. Yes. And ways to uh, to make a name for yourself and to get to the point where you can make some amount of decent money. Not great mm-hmm. money, but decent money at this. Yep. So, uh I've already mentioned the DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG. If you're a D&D writer, you have so much at your fingertips now that you never had before. You have access to the Forgotten Realms. You have access to Eberron. You have access to Ravenloft. You have access to all of that storytelling potential, wizards intellectual property that you can put up on the DMs Guild your product. And that's amazing. Using, <laughs> using, I mean, I still am in awe Three, you know, four years later that that they did this. Uh, but it's made such a difference in the careers of people wanting to become, you know, game designers, freelancers, etc. Mm-hmm. So use those avenues the best you can. Put something up just for the experience of putting something up. Um, write just for the experience of writing. Uh, but there are other ways. Uh, there are many third-party publishers out there who are always looking for talent. So go to your Cobalt Presses. Look at your Goodman Games. Um, all of those third-party publishers out there that are both on um, DriveThruRPG and elsewhere would probably love to look, see your work if you are good at what you do. Use those avenues. 
But there are other things you can do as well. Um, volunteer to play test for people that you know. If you know a designer um, or if you introduce yourself to a designer at a convention or even online, say, I have a gaming group. We meet every week, and I would love to help you play test your stuff. You will get taken up on that offer because everyone out there who's writing stuff should be playtesting it and needs to playtest it. Mm-hmm. So not only are you making connections, but you are seeing the process that you yourself will be undergoing soon. Uh, write a blog, write reviews, start a podcast, engage in the hobby in as many ways as you can to start with, because you are learning, you are making connections, you are seeing the the thing that you want to do. Um, so that's that's kind of a broad overview. Um, can I comment on some of those things now? Please do. All right. So the um, the third party publishers that are always looking for talent, like it's important to understand what they're making and studying what they do, so that if you approach them looking for work, you can fulfill the needs that they have. Because you're not going to get to write what you want to write. You're going to have to write what they want you to write. Like, you'll be able to bring your ideas and stuff to the table, but really you're you're working inside of a system. So understand that. Like, writing is not like, ooh, I'm going to do my thing, unless you want it to be. You can do that with the DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, which is cool. But, like, working for other people is a very different situation. So yes. understand that. Um, yep. When you volunteer to play test, make sure that you are also giving giving good feedback back on the play test and that is like um you don't want to be like i would do it this way i would do it that way you want to look at what's going on with the adventure and be like i don't think this works within what you're trying to do and this is mm-hmm. why and and that's that's way better feedback than saying i would do it this way or i would do it that way because right. as a as a play tester and giving feedback like that you're more acting like a developer and developers jobs um, and I think this is a thing with playtesting. Like we could do a whole episode on playtesting again at this point because I I think I understand the whole idea of playtesting as developing <laughs> way better than I used to. Um, as a developer, your 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 job is to figure out what the writer is intending, and mm-hmm. then seeing if they're executing on that intention, and then giving right. feedback based on that. Right. So yes. So as a playtester, if you run a playtest and what you're given is supposed to play in two hours and it takes six. You should be giving the feedback. It took this long and then be as specific as possible about why it took that long. Yes. But you don't want to say, you know, what would fix that if you did this, 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 and this, um, maybe the, the developer or the designer will come back to you and say, Hey, it went very long. How do you think we could fix that? Then give that answer. But otherwise, just report what happened and why it happened and let the designer and the developer figure out how to fix it based on the the their needs, not on your needs. Well, the reason I say the, the giving good feedback is that um, a lot of people who you might be playtesting for, if they're not in larger companies, they might not have a developer. True. So, uh, you know, just understand your audience, who you're, who, yep. who you're working with. So that's a that's a thing. Um, the blog or podcast, yes, you can do those things. You might want to get into vlogging instead. Vlogging is more popular these days. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that, that would be probably the better way to go. Um, and if you're going to podcast <laughs> or blog, make sure that you're highly focused and you know what you're talking about and that you promote your stuff. <laughs> yep. It's not your grandfather's vlog. No. I mean, it could be. Yeah. That could play well, right? That's true. Get your grandfather and do a vlog with him. Yeah, it'd be like uh, the the one who knows and the one who's who's old and doesn't know and often or, says or vice versa. On. Yeah, that that would yeah. be even better, right? Like, yeah. like back in my day, we went ten feet at a time and rolled rolled d sixes for for random encounters. Mm-hmm. We used a ten foot pole for more than just checking for traps. That's weird, Sean. I, this yeah, is I know. this is a PG thirteen show. That's why I said it. Oh, all right. Uh, what's next? Oh, the next is get into the habit of creating. Um, so I know people's schedules are crazy be it when you have a full-time job and a family and everything, but try to find time to create every day or on a pattern that, that you can set to become a habit. Yeah, um, I had the best advice ever from one of my teachers in college, my uh, my mentor actually in college. She told me it doesn't matter 
if you can't write a thousand words a day or whatever, if you can write one sentence a day in a notebook, at least you've made some, at least you created something that day. At least you kept right. doing it. Yep. And creating in this case may just be on a walk, thinking about what you're going to write when you get back to, to your, to your paper, to your laptop, to your tablet, whatever. Uh, but always have your mind in that creating space. Yeah. And the best thing about that is that we all have these phones these days for the most part that mm -hmm. function as like little computers in your pocket and they attach yeah. to things like notepads and Google Drive and whatever. So you can always be jotting down ideas or voice recognition software that too. Yep. So the, what I'm going to say, the next two things I'm going to say may seem contradictory. Actually, the next three things that, I, that we're going to talk about may seem contradictory, but they're really not. So the first is study what you're going to be creating, all right? And in D&D, that's, that's hard. So when I was teaching creative writing, I would be read everything that you can. Read poetry, read technical manuals, read fiction, read plays, read everything, study, and then focus in on exactly what it is that you are going to be writing until you know what's out there and can add your contribution to this big conversation that is the world of literature, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with D&D, &D, only it's even a little bit harder because D&D &D is such, it's not a simple hobby, right? Because there's, there's all of the things that go into it, and then there's the DM side of things, there's the player side of things, there's the writer side of things, there's the designer side of things. So it takes time, so you should be playing D and D. You should be DMing D and D. You should be reading rule books. You should be reading adventures. You should be studying all of these things. Um, you know, take part in the full extent of the hobby. Listen to podcasts. Let's watch streams. Do all of that. Okay. Once you have done that, you you're, you're never going to stop. But once you've done that and you've gotten an idea of how this hobby works and your what your part in it is going to be as you create then ignore everything that you can and do the writing do the art do the thing that you want to do as much as you possibly can because what happens is sometimes you start studying things and you never get to the writing part it's very easy to lose yourself by watching streams 24-7 or sitting down with the latest four hardcovers and just reading them straight through. If you do that, you will never get to writing. Yeah, this is why the step B that we talked about, create every day, get into the habit of creating, is so important. Because yep. you do yep. need to constantly be filling up your mind with with this stuff that we're ta that Sean's talking about, but you still need to be also putting out stuff every day. Like yep. it's, a, it's like a cycle. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I I see it as you know as the learning and then the doing, and make sure that you're doing the doing more than you're out there online reading blogs, because it's easier to do that, right? It's easier to passively take things in than it is to sit down and and do the output part. It's true, and uh, there's like a um just for a little tip, like you should probably figure out if you really want to do some of this stuff. Like, when are you most creative? Mm -hmm. and make that sort of like the time that you make stuff, like you, you do the output thing. And then when you're at low creativity, because that, that happens during the course of a day or a week and things like that. It sure does. Um, when you're at low creativity, that's when you should be consuming. That's when you should be yeah. absorbing. That's when you should be doing the passive things. Because one, it's good relaxation in a lot of ways. And two, it helps restore the, the creative juices and gives you that information that you, you require to, to make stuff. Yep, and it may take experimentation on, you know, when are you most when are you best absorbing information, and then when are you best creating, um, and it may take you a month, a, a six months, a year to figure out that pattern, and then the pattern may change, uh, but it's you know it's 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 experimentation. Yeah. So so what we've said so far is learn as much as you can, turn everything off and do. And then go back to understanding what goes into producing what it is that you're producing. Mm -hmm. And this is and all... I'll let, I'll let Chris talk about that. Yeah, and this is all cyclical. Like, it's never... I mean, 
it, it goes in in cycles and not just like like week cycles but usually the same cycle during the course of a day like you you kind of bounce back and forth between this stuff a lot yeah um now we're talking about producing so here's yep. here's the flow usually for how something gets produced at encoded design so there's an idea then there's an outline um, if it's a game, then there's like a development cycle, but we won't talk about that. Like that's a completely different thing. But so there's an idea, an outline. Then you draft whatever your idea was from your outline. Then you find somebody to edit it for you because never edit your own stuff because that's stupid. Why? Why is that stupid, John? It's stupid because you have patterns in your brain, and those patterns tend to overlook certain things. Um, those patterns tend to reinforce certain things and you need at least one outside perspective to gloss over and to delve into those places where the, your brain patterns just are not seeing something. Correct. So then after that edit, then there, then you should do a revision on your work and then you should give it back to your editor for another edit and proof, like to make sure that everything's kind of polished if you can. Then you take it to layout with art direction. If you can afford to do that, or you can you can do that. Like sometimes you'll do the layout yourself. Like as you can see, there's a lot of steps to this. Um, that's when you get your cover and your your art pieces on the inside and whatnot. And you know you make your thing readable and pretty. because layout is about information distribution. That's really what layout is layout is doing. Is like I'm going to distribute this information in a clear and concise way to the people who are reading it. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing to think about and a whole different skill set, by the way. Yep. <laughs> um. And then you can go and publish it. And then publishing can be very simple or very complicated, depending on how you're going to publish your thing. In this case, we're probably just going to go to the DMs Guild or drive through. So that's pretty easy. Like making a PDF is not super hard, even using just like a word template or whatnot. Yep. Um, and then you need to promote, which is a whole nother ball of wax. Because if you just right. put your thing up on the DMs Guild, no one's going to know about it. Yep. So, so we have done whole shows on just what we talked about in the last 10 minutes. Yes. Um, I don't know if they're still in the rotation, um, but what, what is the most important is the doing of the thing, right? Yeah. So you, can, you, could, you will have to, at some point, worry about the layout and the art and all of that stuff. But if you do not have a product to massage and manipulate and add to or subtract from um, or lovingly caress with great art, then all of that is for naught. It's true. So make sure you are doing the most important thing, which is doing the writing. Yeah. Idea outline draft. Yep. That is the thing that you should be doing a lot of. Mm -hmm. Because at some point you're going to be throwing stuff out. Um, at some point you're going to get halfway through it and realize that you really should be doing this other idea that's tangential to what you're doing. So you set that aside, um, and, and just get that down do, do the thing and everything else does take work, but it has to spring from, from the creativity. Absolutely. All right. Uh, should we move on to question two? Let's go on to question two. All right. I got this one from right. Frenchy DM on Twitter. Should a dead PC stay a dead PC if the characters don't have any way of bringing them back? What's the pros and cons on, on group motivation for that? So should a PC stay dead? Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I, I will go first because I'm just going to ask the question that you asked, which is what kind of game are you playing? Mm -hmm. And that's really most every question that we get about games come down to what kind of game are you playing? Are you playing uh, you know, a one shot at a convention? Are you doing a long running campaign where you meet with the same people every week and no one ever misses a week and it's the highlight of their week? Um, is it just uh, we play whenever we can and some people show up and some people don't? All of those different kinds of games will give you different answers. Yes. Now, if this question is being asked because of a faux pas in the game or a thing that happened in a game and you didn't really have an answer for it, that is a session zero or a, or a, a group contract thing that mm -hmm. didn't get sussed out. So you're probably going to need to stop your game and ask the question like, what kind of game are we playing? Like, are we doing this high epic fantasy thing? Is it okay to have characters die? Do you really want this character to survive? How will that impact our game going forward? Like, you need to, you need to ask and answer all of those questions with the people that you're playing with. Because while you might be the DM, 
um, game groups are sort of like pirate ships. Like, you might be sort of the captain, but really the players can all mutiny at any time and kick you out. Mm-hmm. And that plank is short, and that fall is wet and cold. Yeah, right? Like, nobody likes to be, nobody likes to be rejected. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be rejected. So I give the players all they want, bad and good. Yeah. You you would um, believe you wouldn't believe how many bad things players ask for. It's it's great. It is true, uh, but you know. So so how is your game? Is if you're writing for a, a one shot at a convention, a four hour slot, um, and you want the players to stay at your table all all four hours, you better have a plan in place if one of the PCs dies. Whether they're coming back to life or you have another PC for them to play or they can take on the role of an NPC in the game or something else cool happens, you you want them to stay at the table for that four hours. So that's one thing. If your game is very story-driven, uh, like an OSR or a Game of Thrones-style game, as Chris says here, um, that's part of the experience is your character dies. That's the story. Um, people die in this in this world and... And they don't come back. So how are you going to handle that? Again, is that player just going to sit there and watch for the rest of the game and then not come back and play ever again? Uh, do they have a new PC waiting? You know how how is that? Uh, how does that work socially among the group of players that you're with? And then how does that fit into the story? Mm-hmm. Because is 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 it is the story more important, or are the people getting together to play more important? Right. That's the question. That 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 is the question. And the answer could be different depending. Right. Sure. When I've written uh, the D&D open last year, it was eight hours long and they were pre-generated characters. Uh, People bought pretty expensive tickets to play this at Origins uh, and then probably elsewhere as it spread out throughout the convention world. Um, So we have to have something in place where if within the first hour a character dies, they're not out that next seven hours. So we have to think about that. And you should be thinking about that in in any game that you run, whether it's like a one-shot or a three-year-long campaign. Think about it ahead of time. How do you want to handle it? How do your players want to handle it? I agree. That's a great way to handle it, right? Like, that's that's how you should... That, those are the questions you should ask. Those are the things you should be thinking about. Yep. On to the next one. Sounds good. So Lurker in the Shadow on Twitter asks, what is your favorite and least favorite class to play and race to play? How about you, Chris? Uh, So my favorite class, it used to be rogues and now it's wizards. I love the flexibility and creativity in spellcasting. It's it's pretty much my my favorite thing ever. Like um, you can if uh, so I played a wizard in the in the the Avanti um, glitter and blood actual play audio drama on the Wednesday evening podcast all-stars his name is Jameson Cree uh it's just fun to use the material components for me to like create story beats and whatnot and also cantrip is like my favorite spell ever because mm-hmm. you can get three of those going at the same time so like I was the prismatic mage I had a cloak that could glow prismatically and I used to have glitter all the time so I used to just press to take create glitter constantly to infu- that's, that's good to infuse my spells. so my favorite class uh wizard my least favorite class is the fighter I am not a fan of the fighter, especially in 5th edition D&D. It's just, there's just not much going on, and that holds my interest. Uh, I think it's a perfectly fine class design-wise. It's just, um, it's not for me. Even the superiority dice, while they, they have some stuff going on there, uh, it's just not enough for, for my pre- preferred play style. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty much the opposite of, of Chris. Uh, my favorite class has is usually like the rogue bard sort of of character um and my least favorite is a wizard because i prefer simple classes when when i sit down to play i i don't want to tax my brain with too many rules i want to be in the role playing and joking and laughing and and doing weird things and now you can do weird things with the rules don't get me wrong but i'm talking about just weird things and funny things as as part of the role playing so, you know, wizards with all of their spell books and their writing into the spell book and how much does it cost to scribe and all of that stuff, um, I don't even want to bother with. That's fair. Uh, what, yeah. what about race? 
Uh, my least favorite race is the human. You know, can I say because... it? Can we, can we get away from like? I, I, I wish in D and D we could just get away from the word race. Just throwing it out there. Can we just go to species? Well, yeah, like yeah. at some point, like species, come on now. Right. Okay. Anyways, I'm done now. Go ahead. Proceed. Yeah, forward. we're using we're using race as a game term here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I agree. So I'm a human every day, although probably my friends and family would sometimes argue with that. Uh, so I like to play anything other than human. Uh, I, I like, uh, what are they called? Gnomes. Gnomes and half-orcs, I think, are anything where I can just act a little bit off <laughs> is, is, is what I like. How about you? Uh, I mean, I prefer just to play humans. Yeah. I like humans. Um, I don't need to play anything weird. Like, uh, there's plenty of, like, every other race slash species slash whatever is just sort of a commentary on some aspect of humanity, in my opinion. So, I mean, I might as well just play a human and play it that way. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, I like the, I don't mind the veneer on that stuff. It's just not for me, right? Like, mm -hmm. I like Warforged. Like, they're fun to, to watch being played. I like, I'm not a huge fan of, um, Dragonborn, because really Dragonborn are just some sort of amalgamation of Eastern culture. So I mean, why don't I just play somebody who's Eastern, right? You know what? You know what turned me off on Warforged was hmm. um, when Eberron first came out. I helped write in the Mark of Heroes campaign, and so I was at a convention where I ran about ten straight slots of this special adventure that I wrote with a team. And, of course, everyone was playing Warforged because that was the new hotness. And every single one of them was Bender from Futurama. Well, that's annoying, right? Because that's not what a Warforged is. And so every table, they sat down and it started. And, you know, they're cracking up. And this was like the eighth time that I've gone through this. And I just... I'm still psychically scarred from that, Chris. Yeah, I can I can tell. totally understand that. Can, we, mm, I want to talk about Warforged for a second now and why they're actually fascinating as characters. Because one, they're not very old. Mm -hmm. Like as as a as a species slash race, they're not very old. Like they've only been around for like the last twenty to twenty five years in Eberron standard time. Um, that's a thing. E Eberron standard e EST. It's like Eastern Standard Time, <laughs> but it's Eberron Standard Time. <laughs> Uh, they, um, we don't know in, in the game fiction, like, are they eternal? Like, do they live forever? Like, do they ever die? Like, as far as like from old age? Cause nobody knows, right? Like they don't, right. they don't get older. They're just, they're basically made of wooden metal yeah. and they can repair themselves. So like they could live forever. They could be eternal. Um, also, how how do the creation forges work? Like, where do these souls come from if they have souls? Like, there's a lot of interesting questions. And also, like, since they don't eat, like, one of the ones that's come up in both of my Eberron games is, like, I'm like, well, sure, the Warforge can eat, but they don't need to. So, like, they tend to eat food just to try it to see what it tastes like. Because why not? No, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the story behind them and some of the more philosophical questions that can come from them you know they're sentient but you know so how does that fit into the the role with organic creatures that are sentient you know all that is really fascinating stuff it's just every time i've seen it used it's either been that joke or it's been power gamers who just can get the most broken character using warforge so that's what they did yeah yeah i even get and into the fact that they're a liberated um people Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's story wise very fascinating for sure. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next question. I think uh, next question, Matthew Petard on Twitter. Matthew, we're looking forward to seeing you at Winter Fantasy. Mm -hmm. I hope uh, I hope you make it, and I hope it's a great flight from New Zealand. I believe. Man, um, that's a long way to yeah, come. It is a long way. As a gamer and a designer, why are we so hesitant to remove certain things from D and D? but we find it oh so much easier to add things. Uh, you can give the fun answer, and I'll give the boring game design answer. Okay, so the fun answer is, here's the thing, right? D&D is cool. Everything that we put into D&D is there because it's cool, and we don't want to remove cool things from our game, even if because we remove it, the story gets better or uh, the game itself gets better. So the trick is a DM. If you remove something cool make the story twice as cool because of that dark sun comes to mind 
right? With their uh, divine, the removal of basically the removal of divine magic from the setting. Mm-hmm. That's removing a lot from the game. Yes. So add cool things to the story or add cool things to the rules. Give other cool options that make that removal a little less harsh. That's that's my basic answer. Okay. So when you add stuff to a game, it's all about putting stuff onto the core mechanisms of play. So you're not like messing with what has been designed already. I mean, you are in some way, shape or form, but it's not the same. Um, you're just you're just tacking stuff on, and usually that stuff works within what's already existed, so it's not as hard to do that. When you start removing things, you can really break up the intended, what is called, core loop of play. So there's a whole episode on Misdirected Mark about core loop. I'm pretty sure it's still on the website somewhere. Um, the core loop of play is like the things and activities that you do in the game that are the cycle of play. So like in D&D... It is, um, you have these three pillars that they don't really talk about as much anymore, but like, those are the kind of the three things you do in play, and each of them has a, a sort of a thing that you do. Like, you interact with somebody, you maybe you make a d20 roll, you either succeed or you fail, and then that prompts what happens after that, and you continue the story. And that's kind of how play works there. In combat, it's a whole bunch of like mechanics that work together. Like, you roll initiative, then you go through the initiative cycle. While you're doing that, you take your, use your action economy to do a bunch of things. And then you move on to the next person, and then you have these hit points that kind of come down. It's like that, uh, what do they call it? It's uh, attrition. Yeah, the attrition mm-hmm. um, of hit points. And then, the you know, healing, like, brings that back up. So, like, you have these two things playing against each other, your actions and whatnot versus hit point attrition. And then to go along with that, you have spell slots. And the slot system, and really the other resources that other characters have, is another, like, resource management game that plays into a lot of these other pillars of play. And that D20 role that that occurs in that, that economy, that action economy management. So all of those things work together in a loop. And um, and they all have their own loops. And the, the reason that D&D is kind of an interesting game and sort of complex is those loops interconnect to each other. So like there's like mm-hmm. it's, it's a complicated thing to talk about, like in five seconds. But if you think right. about it, there's like a bunch of co- cogs and gears that all kind of overlap and work together to create the experience that is D&D. Now, when you pull out one of those cogs or a part of one of those cogs, then things might fall apart. So you have to be real careful about how you rearrange your cogs so that things don't fall apart when you start pulling stuff out. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're putting stuff on, you're just attaching more cogs in there. I like this cog example. It's really kind of a good example for how yeah. the how game design works. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is not even adding a new cog. A lot of it is just taking the silver cog and making it a gold cog, Correct, right? right? You're just you're just reskinning the cog, right? Um, yeah. I actually ran into some of this with, with Avalon because there's no gods, but clerics still exist, so how does that work, right? Mm-hmm. So the design for that is like, well, I just had to reskin some of the abilities with the cleric and also say, like, clerics don't get power from their gods. Clerics have to study spell books just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. They just don't talk about it, right? Like. Right. That seems silly. Like, they're like, we get our power from the gods. Like, they say they get their power from the gods, but really they're just memorizing spells. Um, and they do have some of their own personal power. That's how Channel Divinity works. But it's not from a god. It's from their own magical essence that they've developed inside of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, like, that led to an interesting thing. There's, a, there's, a, there's an ability in the game called Divine Intervention. Divine Intervention doesn't work in Avalon. It's something else. In, in fact, there's a whole new rule for it. And that's, you know, more about wisdom and seeing things in in uh, in the situation and then getting a bunch of like you can just grant um, rerolls to characters concerning the situation, which is, you know, sort of like divine intervention, but not really. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that is why it's harder to remove stuff than it is to add stuff in a lot of ways. That's my long drawn out yep. answer. That's not very no, exciting. I... I think that's that's a fine answer. And now on to the last question from Blake Ryan. Blake Ryan, Batman. Mm, So how do you get out of bad writing habits? So the examples they give are starting in a tavern, PCs just charging in, having ugly equal evil. Um, And so there's two answers here, too. Um, I'm going to let Chris go first because his is kind of the scientific answer. Yes. So... 
with, with all of these things, first you have to identify the habit. Like, oh, look, I keep writing that we're starting in a tavern. Time to make them start somewhere else. So, like, you identified that, that bad habit. The next is, like, you need to create a trading system for eliminating the bad habit. Which, um, every time I start an adventure, we're never starting in a tavern. Right? Like, how many different ways can I start an adventure? Uh, then you need to engage in your training system for at least 30 days or more until that habit is gone. So that is how you break bad habits. I mean, that's actually just how you break bad habits. Any kind of bad habit is pretty much how you do that. Yep. And it's not and easy. So it, it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's very true. So as Chris said, you know, you break it through awareness and training. Now, when you're writing a, a game, a project, a, an adventure, whatever, you are going to iterate. You are going to write different drafts of this. I go through at least seven or eight drafts with everything I write. Um, so part of that iteration process is recognizing those habits and then removing them. Some people will have that same bad habit their whole life. They will just make sure they have one iteration where they're removing it. Some people are able to remove the habit as they're writing their initial draft. Um, it, for writing, it's a little bit different than it is for, say, smoking. <laughs> but the 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 same uh, core concepts are still there of recognizing and then doing what you need to do to train yourself to do something different. Well, the difference between smoking and writing is smoking has a a drug um component to you it. You don't. You don't think writing, you don't think there's a writer's high? Well, there's, of course there's a writer's high, but like, that's a neurological, like both of them. And the other thing is that both of them have a neurological component to them. That's why breaking habits is, is so hard because yeah, you have to, it's true. you have to train yourself to do it so that you can re, tr re, regrow the pathways in your brain to, to make it normal for you and not make you feel bad when you do those things right. or make you feel and good so, when you do those things. Right. And so, you know, it's not really a habit is just so much as laziness. In terms of using the same formula for every adventure or always using, you know, a male NPC rather than using mixed gender or genderless NPCs, you know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so you just you find a way, whether it is in the moment that you're doing it or going back to revise that you make those changes. I mean, you call it laziness and I agree with you it is, is kind of lazy, but it's we've developed tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. So you just need to expand your toolbox so that your tendencies are never just the one thing. Right. And it's hard. It can be hard. Yep. So my my answer is one more draft and have a list of things that you know that you have a habit to do and check that list as you reread, you know, between your third and fourth iteration. That is that is a great training system for eliminating your bad habits. Mm-hmm. All right, well, there you go. that's our Q&A for the day. It's a bit of a long episode, strangely enough. I wasn't sure it would be this long. Oh, yeah. But uh, I want to say thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And I want to do a few Patreon shout-outs before we get out of here. Stephen Farrell, the Knight of Lairs. Uh, Thomas Bagley, the Minister of Overly Pendantic Wombats. I love that name, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, Time Paradox, our court painter. Toby Sennett, the Baron of Britannia. And Todd Crapper, the Prophet of Probability and the Best Name in Gaming. <laughs> also Dennis Malloy Blake Ryan Batman who asked one of our questions Brandon Barnes James Sweetland and Jen Pixelscapes Gange who creates amazing monsters and puts them up on Twitter that's a, a chromatic oh man I forgot her Twitter handle it's chromatic oh. chromatic chameleon chromatic chameleon there you go there you go search her on Twitter and follow her she makes great stuff all right yep Pick, search Pixelscapes Pixelscapes that's what it is I thought it was chromatic yep. chameleon never mind it's Pixelscapes at Pixelscapes uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. <laughs> for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and our access to the Slack room for life. Uh, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. They help even if you're not listening to us via Apple Podcasts, because many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible. Or you could just share our stuff on social media. Please we would very do. much appreciate that. Please do. Please do. Sean, where can we find your madness on the Internet? You can find my madness on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Or if you want the Mad Wizard's madness, you can check out what he's talking about 
at Menagerie Wizard. And you can also, you know, PM me on Facebook, Twitter, however, or go on the Down with D&DG Plus community and ask questions where we usually answer in pretty much real time. Yes, we try to. I mean, I, I check that stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, you can hit me yeah. up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. That's the show on the network Twitter. I mean, we do have an at Down with D&D Twitter account, but we don't use it as much as we used to. Um, we try to funnel everything towards Misdirected Mark. You can also just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their Kung Fu stronger by watching Wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. And recently, I actually watched a Wuxia film with them. In fact, a whole bunch of people called um, Battle Wizard, which was insane and crazy, and it's a Shaw Brothers movie, and it was 77 minutes long, and it felt like it was like 12, because it was that fast and, and, and insane. And it was made in 1977, which, you know, that was the best movie made that year, right, Sean? I can't argue with that, only because I, I'm out of time. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So uh, what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.